Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke. I'm here with Bishop Todd Hunter. Good morning, Ben. All right. And uh, we're in this uh, middle of this new series called Advent Hope in Harsh Times. And our guest today is the Reverend Canon Dr. Esau McCulley. Uh, Esau is a New Testament scholar. He's a priest in C4SO, and he's one of our canon theologians, uh, also an assistant professor of New Testament at Wheaton College married to Mandy, and watching over four kids. Did I get all that right, Esau? Yes. My wife is currently um, deployed, so I am single parenting. And single that's, parenting. that's actually not accurate because she's, okay. she's helping out in a lot of different logistical ways from where she is. So uh, the, parenting, the, co-parenting from a distance is, I guess, what we will say. But yeah, co-parenting from a distance. Yeah. So, Esau, I, I, I picture you that if you open your T-shirt, we'd see a big S for, like, Superman. <laughs> so I don't know how you do it. Um, God is faithful is probably what I would say. It's actually, um, there is some benefit for to, it, this is me trying to, like, look for God's providence in the midst of everything else that's going on. Hmm. But the fact that my wife, um, she left in August, for those of you who don't know, which I'm assuming is 99% of the listeners, but she <laughs> left in early August, and she won't be back until sometime next year, wow. sometime in the spring. Oh, and wow. so it's been really good to have my primary focus to be my family yeah. during what could be a um, an otherwise kind of hectic season. Hmm. So people ask me like, "How do you, you know, what do you think about the book and this and that?" And I was like, "Well, I'm actually thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner." Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was never the five day a week cook. I'd kind of stepped in yeah. and, and did some stuff, but we kind of divided things equally. So it's been really good to remind me of the things that are important, which is trying to be a good husband and a good father, yes. and the rest of the stuff that everybody can keep. So yeah. that's been that's actually been helpful. So when people ask that's me really about. Good. A successful book. I was like, I don't know. I'm parenting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I have no idea. Good for well, you, speak, man. Way to go. Speaking of that book, um, you know, our, our our series here is called Advent Hope uh, in Harsh Times. We've been talking with um, clergy and theologians in our diocese about, you know, where to find hope these days uh, without ignoring the harsh realities of our current moment. And you recently wrote this book that you mentioned um, that I think would be helpful here uh, for us to talk about a little bit. Um, the book is called Reading While Black. African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope. Uh, In that book, uh, Esau, you make this claim that the black ecclesial tradition offers a distinctive message of hope that arises from their reading of the biblical texts. So, yeah, yeah, so thus it would seem uh, that the black church tradition has a lot to teach us about our current cultural moment, about how to find hope in harsh times. Well, in some sense, like black Christianity is nothing but one huge advent. <laughs> if, you want to be, if you want to be honest about it, yeah. because it comes into being with this deep longing for freedom. Hmm. Um, one of the chapters that no one asked me about, which is um, the Bible and just actually the title, the title chapter reading while black, mm-hmm. which deals with the gospel of Luke. And it opens with um, Simeon and not Simeon, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Yeah. And the whole point is that Zachariah and Elizabeth lived the entirety of their life um, mm-hmm. 
under the dominion of the Roman Empire, surrounded by other Jews who lived under the dominion of the Roman Empire. And I am positive because it's clear from when Jesus came that most of the other people who were around them just gave up hope. And they said, well, what's the purpose of worshiping God day in and day out when I was oppressed, my, my, my parents were oppressed, and there's always been someone who, step, who, who stepped upon us and not given us the freedom to worship and serve God. Yeah. But nonetheless, Zechariah and Elizabeth persisted. Mm-hmm. And God like met that hope through the coming of John. And John is this symbol that God did not abandon people. This is, this is how Zechariah and Elizabeth function in the narrative. That's why they're there. To hmm. say that God hadn't forgotten the people of the Old Testament who hmm. remained faithful and that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of, of long-expected hope. And the analogy that I make in the book, which is the central central chapter nobody cares about. It's okay. <laughs> I will take it. The people get to decide what they like. <laughs> but, this, but the idea is that the African-American church was like Zachariah and Elizabeth, that we come into existence under slavery. Yes. We would have every excuse to to perceive that the God of the Bible is our enemy because the people who oppressed us used the Bible for justification. Mm. And we said, no, they are wrong. Hmm. And that and, and this is a testimony. That long that 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 trust in God was has been vindicated over and over and over and over again. That God has come and rescued us time and time again from social, spiritual, and political Oppression, that God has done those things for us. And when I talk about the dual advent, the other thing that you see when you when you read African-American preaching and um, African-American sermons and, auto, and biographies and autobiographies from the period, you also see the, the apocalyptic aspects of advent. Yeah. Um, in which you see African-Americans proclaiming, if you don't change... America, God's going to judge you. Yeah. yeah. And there's this strong call for a advent of the kingdom of God, not in the sense that African-Americans ever thought that we were going to just say, we're going to establish a kingdom in America. We just said, okay, you call yourselves followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. If you sully the name of Christ by these activities, then you're going to be in real danger of God's judgment. And yeah. so what I'm saying is that African-Americans have historically had these two aspects of our personality. One is, is which, um, in which we, we're longing for the coming of a, a, a king yeah. into our lives again and again and again who will liberate us. Hmm. And we're looking, for, we're looking forward to that, that, that judgment. And so I would say that for us, we, we've always lived in hope. We've never had... Um, kind of the America, if you want to look at it from that perspective, that we wanted. Yeah. Um, where we we feel like fully free to exercise um, the the God given gifts that we have. Hmm. Yeah. So well, we saw the, if we took that uh, ahead, if we took that um, amazing paradigm, and as Ben said when we were starting, you know. Uh, how could we use that as an analogy? Like pastorally, what would you say to the people who are struggling with various kinds of harshness now? Like what can we learn pastorally? So I've been thinking a lot about this. And Advent, and sorry, this is going to sound, <laughs> this might not sound super Anglican. Liturgical seasons are helpful, but they're also in some sense not true. <laughs> and what I mean is 
we say, oh, it's Advent season. So now we spend four weeks waiting, and then Jesus arrives right on time mm-hmm. in December the 25th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we celebrate, which is mm-hmm. good. You need to enact that celebration. But that's not how life works, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. The life, sometimes the Advent season is very long. The longing is not four weeks. It's months, yeah. years, decades. And so I think that one of the things that we have to accustom ourselves to are seasons of suffering. Mm. And we are in a season of suffering. But when you are in a season of suffering, that's when it becomes clear what you really believed. Um, Suffering reveals who we are. And as a Christian... I, like so when when baby Jesus shows up this actually is helpful when baby Jesus shows up on December the 25th nobody's life in Israel on that day and I know he wasn't actually born on December the 25th don't come for me in there but when baby <laughs> Jesus was born yeah nobody's life actually changed right. yeah the world was different right but the but the suffering kind of moved on mm. so I think that part of what we need to understand is that the nature of hope mm-hmm. and hope isn't rooted in the impending change of our circumstances at some set period. Hmm. It is the sure confidence rooted in what we know about God that he will ultimately prove victorious. And so that's what I mean when I talk about an exercise in hope. It is not that African-Americans were always positive or mm-hmm. hopeful emotionally. Right. It's that we were always convinced that God had a future for us. Hmm. And so what I would want to say to people is that when it seems like Things are really, really dark. And it feels like it's dark right now in America. Mm. That it's not that the hope is that, wow, we'll get a vaccine and the and this divisive election this season will be over. No, 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 no. <laughs> the fall is th- like the fallenness and the brokenness of humanity is still here. Yeah. The hope that we have is that Christ is risen. And because Christ is risen, I can go through all of the things that come at me. And his resurrectedness, if I can coin the term, remains true even when my emotions lag. Mm -hmm. So I don't have any advice, especially here in Chicago, (laughs) where it gets dark at 4.30 now and it's cold, (laughs) about how to feel better. (laughs) I can't help you there. I mean, and 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 that may sound, this may sound overly simplistic. You also, like, that's that's why, like, therapy is fine. Mm -hmm. But that's not, that's not what I do. I'm a theologian. Mm-hmm. And as a theologian, I can say, well, hope is found in the resurrection, in the sheer confidence in the future, and that we reason back from the resurrection to our experiences. And I would say the like, hope is always eclipsed for the Christian. Mm-hmm. This is where you know, like, hope is eclipsed. And I've seen it a thousand times. It is when our experiences, like, begin to overshadow the resurrection. Yeah. So when our life gets so bad that we reconsider the data, well, is Christ really risen? Is God really with me? Those yeah. that's when we lose hope. But yeah. when we are when we're allowed to reason from the resurrection and from the incarnation and from the life of Jesus, the entire thing, not just the resurrection. Sure. When that becomes the paradigm through which we see the world, mm-hmm. then I think we can we can find hope. And that's what I would say the African American Church is good at that because we've had to rely and turn to the resurrection and the life of Jesus again and again and again. Yeah. Haven't been able to rely on uh, circumstances changing or good feelings coming back or, you know, 
haven't been able to rely on those things. Yeah, one of the things that I'm still like, I'm still learning, like even evangelical culture, traditional culture, whatever you want to call it, um, because I'm just like very used to not having power. Yeah, as an African American, we just like we just never have political power. Yeah. We've, we're always trying to persuade people to treat us like human beings yeah. through protest, through prayer, through advocacy. We are all, we're 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 ethnic, we're we're minorities. We're minorities in this country. We're thirteen percent of the population, mm-hmm. and so we have rarely been able to kind of impose our will apart from some coalition. And we've been in favor and out of favor. And so I'm not sure that I've ever emotionally felt the angst yeah. of what it's like to fear the loss of power. Yeah. And the fear of the loss of influence and the fear of the idea that society is slipping away from me because I've never had it. And so I'm not always good at understanding people, other people's fears. Yeah. Because this has been so often that we're like at the mercy of society and trusting in the providence of God. Mm-hmm. So God's like, God's going to have to do something. Yeah. And so I think that if we have a gift to offer to the church, the wider church, yeah. is to say, like, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. I know this is scary, but this is what Christianity has historically been like that. Yeah. There's been times where, like, Christians were like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't control the future. One of the things, sorry, this is my, this is my last little rant. <laughs> we sometimes in America see all of this stuff, elections, discord, violence, and they go, this feels like the end times. I was like, have you seen the rest of the world? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that like the people yeah. in Uganda are like, well, they're having a fight over there in America. I guess it's the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> so we're so used to censoring our experiences. Yes. Imagine being in Rwanda during the genocide. Yeah. yeah. And imagine what it felt like to be a Christian during that moment. Yeah. We are global Anglicans, but we're myopic. Yeah. Mm. And so what I want to say is that hope is always a matter of perspective. And mm. people who are used to comfort, who are used to societal influences, who are used to deference, mm. who are used to respect. I mean, and I'm a, and listen, I want to make sure I say this well. I know when people say, yeah, pe- it's getting hard to be a Christian and, and people are being disrespected and I feel religious freedom is going away. And like, I, I actually see those things. But it's like, do you realize that like black people just live with disrespect for like decades and decades and decades? Yeah. Just casual disrespect and racism. Right. Just lived with it. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of accepted it, but like we we just have to get we have to be able to be hopeful. Yeah. Apart from power. And Paul actually says, he literally says it in First Corinthians. God chose the scrubs, the weak God. things, yeah. to shame the wise. Yeah. The God is actually most glorified by using people who have no influence, the people whom society neglects, to shame the wise, so that the only boast that we can have is in Jesus. So yes. what I guess what I guess what I'm trying to push on is letting go of the need to control mm. and radically delivering our lives and our futures over to Jesus. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Preach it, Esau. Yeah, we take up an offering now. <laughs> I'm just like I just, I just want I just want us to be I just want us to I just want us to be to be just like we, I feel like there's just like there's this this sense of like holding on. Yes. Yeah. And trying to like get through to yeah. re, to the return to the to normal. Right. Yeah. 
but maybe the normal itself wasn't that good. Yes. We had, I mean, like we, we, I mean, trust me, we're in month eight of the pandemic. Yeah. But like we're saying, like I can't wait get to get. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> this is not talking about my church, okay? This is talking about churches in general. Ooh, Pastor, I love you. <laughs> so we're waiting to get back to like worship. But half of us didn't even like our church before the pandemic stopped. <laughs> you complained about the music. You complained about the preaching. You yeah. complained about the kids making noise during the sermon. Yeah. We weren't happy. Yeah. And we had this idea. And like America was not unified in 2015 before nope. Donald Trump came. Nope. Right. It's Those are lies. Yeah. So we have to like let go of even the lies that we say about what was. Mm-hmm. Which allows us to create lies about the future and literally say, I don't know what's going on, but yeah. I trust Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And I just feel I'm just so I'm just we're just terrified. Yeah. We're terrified. And I can just feel the fear. People are like, what does this mean? What's I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows. People ask me if, I don't know what I'm talking about. In the sense of like projecting any kind of future yeah I'm just trying to be as a Christian yeah in the moment yeah hey everyone it's time for the C4SO cycle of prayer spotlight where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer this week we are praying for church of the Vine in Newburgh, Oregon. Oregon? Oregon? How do you say it, Sean? Well, I'm from California originally, so however <laughs> I say it, I'm told I'm wrong. But no, Oregon. Oh, I see. Or, Oregon. 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 Yeah. Oregon. All right. So Newburgh, Oregon, which is led by um, Reverend Sean Flannery, whose voice you just heard. And he's here to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray specifically for them. Sean, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Yeah, good to be here, Ben. Thanks. Hey, where is Newburgh, Oregon? Yeah, Newburgh is probably 40 minutes southwest of the city, so sort of on the kind of edge of the Portland metro area, but out Ah. in wine country. Oh, out in wine country. Very nice. All right. Church of the Vine. I see what you did there. You see, you see, you see, uh, that's you, good. see what we're doing? That's good. <laughs> Love it. All right. Um, Sean, um, let us know one thing that you are encouraged by right now that's going on at Church of the Vine. Yeah, I think I'm mostly encouraged by just God's persistence to bless his people throughout this year. Mm. Um, I think like everyone else, Church of the Vine has seen a ton of change in 2020 from gathering in person to zoom to you know for us it's even been we've had a season of being you know gathered outdoors and i've just been amazed by the way god's spirit keeps showing up to meet uh Mm. with us and guide us um up until this last sunday we have been meeting in a a public park and there have been mornings that have been freezing and windy um (laughs) and you know it's it's funny the park is right next to a, a gun range and so, was it really? Wow! Yeah, there's even been um, <laughs> the anticipation each week of when the semi-automatic gunfire will <laughs> show up in the liturgy. Um, but uh. I think I think it's just been such a rich season to see and remember that 
that God's determined to be with and bless his people no matter what. Like mm. e- each step of the way, each pivot, there's yeah. been something to see that God's doing. Um, and that's mm. been like a good reminder. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, share with us uh, maybe a challenge that you guys are facing right now that you want to let us know about. Yeah. Um, we, like I said, we shifted from in-person gathering to meeting over Zoom uh, this past Sunday. And this oh, was, yeah. this is both um, because of like the fall rain and uh, it's finally shown up here in Oregon, but also COVID cases are surging here in Oregon, right. as I'm sure they yeah. are. Um, All over the country. Near right you now, guys right. and across the country. Um, so I think with this comes again, the challenge of isolation. And all that comes with that. And, you know, this is all happening this next round amidst the holidays, which is tough on folks. Um, Yes. So I think the the ongoing challenge of, you know, marriages that are um, struggling, people struggling with mental health, people who are grieving and and don't have those normal channels to to kind of find their way through that. Yeah. Yep. Um, Sean, in light of all of this, how can we pray for you and for Church of the Vine? Yeah, I've been thinking about this in just in light of Advent and both for myself and for the congregation. My mm-hmm. prayer is really that that in this season we'd learn to wait, um, to wait uh, both for the Lord and, and to really to wait with a heart of repentance, um, that this season would be marked in our memory um, as a time where where the church really learned to wait on God. I mean, that feels like the whole season is conspiring right now uh, <laughs> to help us with that. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, thanks for joining us today, uh, Sean. Um, friends, if you'd like to find out more about Church of the Vine or contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time, Sean. Thanks for joining us. So hope, hope then is not a uh, is not confidence that the future is going to turn out a certain way, or that we can direct the future. Yeah, yeah, or that we have the power to do it, right? But hope is this present practice that has to be cultivated in the midst of whatever we're It's a we're present practice with. of trusting in God's sovereignty yeah. and letting go of our desire to control. Yes. Well, Paul says hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. He does not mean that if that positive attitudes doesn't disappoint. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't mean that like the thing that you're gonna happen that you thought was gonna happen in six months doesn't disappoint. He says that God's promises are secure hmm. because the love of God has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it's like that love of Jesus that we don't manufacture for ourselves is the gift of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. allows us to Hope. I mean, I think that even trust, hope is like secure trust in God. Yeah. And so, and I just, I, I, I think that if there's one thing that 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 we're missing is that trust. I just keep hearing. Sorry, maybe this is the thing. I just responded to too many things, but I just keep hearing about like what's going to happen if certain decisions are made. Right. Oh, if this person wins or this person wins the election, we're do you don't know. Yeah. God is literally sovereign. Mm-hmm. Yes, actions have consequences and we're responsible for the decisions that we make. Yeah. But we can't predict the future. Yeah. Nobody can. Yeah. 
You find me who saw like these series of circumstances coming into the America that we had. Into I was telling myself, I was I was like 2019. Think of like what you were doing in November of 2019. Yeah. yeah. And look at where we are now. Yeah. Nobody saw this year coming. Yeah. So how do we have any idea what 20, where we're going to, invite me back on the podcast in November of 2021, <laughs> if the Lord tarries. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. So yeah. Esau, I just had a thought. I know you did your um, PhD in uh, what it means to be heirs of Christ. Yeah. That concept just hit me. Like, play with that a little bit. Like, how would the secure knowledge of being an heir provide the kind of grounded hope that you're suggesting? I'll say something about Galatians 3.28, which is actually super related to this. What are you talking about? So when Paul says this in the Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, no male and female, we often just get really excited because, you know, that gives us to say that Paul isn't sexist or racist, that everyone's equal, which is actually great to say. That's also true. But then he says, you're all one in Christ. And if you're Christ, then you're heirs according to the inheritance. So mm-hmm. the purpose of negation climaxes in the discussion of you being an heir. And the point is, no matter what you currently have, hmm. whether you're a man or you're a woman, whether you're a slave, whether you're free, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, regardless of what society says, mm-hmm. and society says the slaves couldn't be heirs. Mm-hmm. Society says most of the time women couldn't inherit stuff. Right. Society, in, in the Jewish context, Gentiles couldn't have a place in the land. But what Paul is saying is you have Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you because God in his graciousness shares that which belongs to Christ and Mm. what belongs to Christ, the entirety of the world. Mm. So when he says you're co-heirs in Christ, Paul literally says in Romans, if you suffer with Christ, you're going to reign with Christ. So the future of the Christian, we know this is the confidence. This is the confidence. I have an inheritance Everything that belongs to Jesus, he will share with me, including life eternal. And my inheritance is as secure as the resurrection itself. Mm, yeah. So, yes, I am hopeful because I'm an heir. Yeah. It also comes all, and this is the other thing, but here's the thing, and this is, this is where Paul's theology becomes so important. Paul reasons this way. Well, how did Jesus get all of that stuff? <laughs> how did he get it? He said, well, he kind of died and then he rose from the dead. And then he ascended to be with the Father. And then Paul says, okay, how do we get it? How do we get what belongs to Jesus? Mm-hmm. He said, then well, we got to suffer. Yeah. And we got to die. And then we get to ascend with Christ. Yeah. And so he says, that means that you never get your inheritance apart from suffering. Yeah. This is how Paul's cruciform theology develops. Yeah. So that means the church, let's make, forget politics, the church. The church cannot become the church that God called it to be without undergoing suffering. And what we want to do is we want to get to the hopeful stuff yep. and the inheritance without the death and resurrection. Yeah. But we got to die. And so sometimes I feel like the, the black church or African-Americans get mad because we say, no, 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 there's sin here. You got to die to that sin in order to be what God has called you to be. Yeah. And that death to sin as we know individually, it's not a one-time decision. Yeah. Mm. We have to decide over and over and over and every single day we wake up. Yeah. We have to decide, am I going to struggle and fight? Like this morning, I didn't do morning prayer. Here's my confession. I was tired. <laughs> 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 I 
I laid in the bed and I was like, God, you know, like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do it. My son came in the bed and I snuggled with my son, my um, little kid. And then I just got up and came and did the podcast. Yeah. But I should, I should have woken up 45 minutes earlier, but I didn't fight. (laughs) And so sometimes you just got to recognize that like every morning that you wake up, you got to decide to begin again Yeah. as a Christian. And I think we have to make that decision to die to sin. Yeah. And the people who tell us about those sins are not our enemies, but they are our friends. Paul yes. says in Galatians, have I become your enemy for telling you the truth? Yeah. And the truth is, like when 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 we say when we say that we need an advent because the world is broken, yeah. the world hates us for it. Yeah. For telling it the truth. Mm-hmm. And when you say the church needs to do better because the king demands better of us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the world, the church itself, hates you, yeah. or, or pushes back on you. Yeah. But I know for, for in my life, every single time someone has told me something I didn't want to hear, even if I didn't want to hear it in the moment, in the long run, I've been grateful for it. And the truth is, America and the American church is actually grateful for the t- testimony of the black church. Yeah, we didn't allow people to remain trapped in the sin of segregation and racism. In mm-hmm. the 60s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. So we said, you're sinning. Yeah. And so when we do it again, now, we're saying, you're sinning against yeah. your brother. Yeah. Esau, I think this is really, this is really helpful, really important um, as we talk about this, this idea of hope. Uh, because I, one, of the, one of the things I see um, is, and, you know, in a lot of churches, a lot of Christians uh, in America, there's a they see the kind of the harsh times we live in. They see the, the 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 political unrest and all that kind of stuff, and they're very quick to call us to like come back together or to get back to normal, as you were saying, or to see that the primary problem as oh we're so polarized. But I hear you saying no. Actually, the the primary problem is there is injustice in the land. Yeah, I want to say as you said that though, you made me think. I want to say I do want to say one thing about hope because it may seem like it was dark. They don't answer your question. <laughs> think, go back, go back to the resurrection stories. Yeah, really quickly. Sorry, yeah. this is going to go full Bible today. That's all. Do you right. remember when like the women are going and they and they beginning to ask the question, "Who's going to roll away the stone?" Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Who's going to roll away the stone? And then they come and like the stone gets rolled away. The stone gets rolled away. And there 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 are, if you go back and look and read the story, right? If you go back and look, there's signs that something's about to happen at the resurrection story. Hmm. Right? There's signs. But the women were so caught up in their grief, they couldn't even begin to see the signs that God may be up to something. Even when an angel shows up. They're like, yeah. well, what's the angel got to say? <laughs> like, well, you something ought to click in your head when the angel shows up <laughs> that right. you about to get some really good news. Yeah. And so I do think that even though our hope is in the resurrection, there are often little signs hmm. that exist in society or in the church that are often only seen in retrospect. Hmm. So I am anchored in hope for the, with the resurrection but I see signs small and fleeting that God grants us as a mercy yeah. that he's not abandoned his people so yeah. I can say this to your to your audience like look in the midst of all of the all of the um, all of the darkness it is often that God like gives you small small signs of light 
mm-hmm. and and hold on to those small signs as like this as, as this as this as this thing that, that gives. I mean, John the Baptist. I know we not. I'm not going to answer your question. John the Baptist. <laughs> John the Baptist was yeah. one person. Yeah, one person born to one family, but it says it caused people to wonder what this child might be. Mm-hmm. So that one sign was something for the people to hold on to. So mm. in your churches, in your families, in your life, look for some sign of God's presence. Mm. And don't dismiss it because it's actually there. And hold on to that as a down payment towards God's future faithfulness. So sorry, what was your actual question that you posed to me? <laughs> because I just right. ignored. I no, want to talk about hope. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. No, I think I think it's really important. I'll, and I'll ask this. I was gonna I was gonna ask a question about your favorite chapter. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Asking about divisiveness. Yeah. yeah. So I'll answer that question. Yeah. yeah. Some people lament divisiveness and and don't want to get to the thing that divides us. Yep. There it and is. And at a certain point, so we can't just say we need to come together after these last four years of divisiveness. Right. I say this, and and I used to be when I was in the church, if a couple came to me and there was an affair on an adultery. It's not like, well, let's just forgive each other. No, 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 no. Mm. We need to to explain or figure out how we got here. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a reckoning for what occurred. Not vengeance, a reckoning. Yes. And then we can move forward. I'm, I don't think, and I think we have to be honest about what occurs. Occurred, so we can go to the future. And one of the things is like, I think this plaguing the church is that we kept pushing things back, kept pushing things back. I'm just going to preach the gospel. I'm going to focus on this. And then we got to the place where we could no longer speak or hear one another mm-hmm. because we 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 gave away disi- holistic discipleship mm. for a limited piety. Mm. And the culture came in and discipled our people instead. Yeah. And then we looked up and we had a congregation that we didn't understand or know. Hmm. And who did not care about what we had to say, because we weren't like. Trust me, my my wife um, has had has a much better like uh, way of like handling the kids around video games and these other kinds of things. And she had like really strict like you get thirty minutes of this. Yeah. It's like man, those rules are like that's too much. I'm gonna let them. I'm just gonna be reasonable. It's like play a reasonable amount of video games. Now I've created a monster because the kids are always yelling at me. Can I have another hour? And I was like, now I have to do the work yeah. of like of taming this monster that I created and, I and getting the yeah. old rules back that my wife established. <laughs> so what I'm saying is like we we ignored holistic discipleship, not training people on how to vote. That's not what I'm saying. Holistic discipleship that allowed people to engage in every area of their life criti- critically. Yeah. And therefore, we don't understand how to minister to people yeah. who are are experiencing real spiritual damage. Yes. I mean, there's real spiritual damage being done to the souls of people through political idolatry. Yeah. And we don't know how to fix it. Yeah. Because we, if we say something, then we're like being partisan. Or we're not understanding. Like, we, we have to go through the long and slow work. Yeah. Of bringing all of the person's life under the kingdom. I mean, yes. the loss of charity is shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. So, and I said that's a failure of like we think that I can I can put my political world over here and right. talk about talk to people in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. Cuz that's justified. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So the Christian charity doesn't inform how I discuss politics. Yeah. Yes. Esau, do you have a few Sorry. more minutes? Yeah, I do. I do. All right. I want, I want to ask you one more question, uh, and then Bishop Todd, I don't know if you've got anything else for Esau as well. Uh, one of your chapters in the book is about black rage. Yeah. And... Um, I wonder if you could walk us through, and it's basically like this this crisis you write about of what do I do with all this yeah. anger that has been stored up in my body just from being black in this country, all the injustice, yeah. all the, like you said, the, the little injustices, the little slights that, that you encounter. What do I do with all this rage? Can you talk a little bit about um, what you've discovered about dealing with anger, with um, with sadness with pain because I think one of the one of the things that we need to learn how to do I think this advent and just in this season is learn how to be real about what we're feeling not ignore it not paper it over um, in order to have hope but also reckon with it in a way that we don't despair we don't give up but we are able to hold on to it feels like a tension to me can you talk about navigating that yeah um, it's so it's so strange the things that people gravitate to in books because hmm. the book is just like, I call it like, it's like a mixtape. It's like an album with different like tracks. You can yeah. listen to this song or listen to that song, listen to some songs over and over okay. again. Okay. And like, this is the, this, every single interview I've ever had, people have asked about this chapter. Hmm. And it's the least um, technical mm-hmm. in the sense of like the exegesis. Yeah, right. There's very, I don't, I think there, there are very few footnotes. Okay. As far as engaging in like, the secondary literature because mm-hmm. I just felt like I need to say it how I feel it mm-hmm. so I just wrote it I think I yeah. wrote it the quickest and it's actually the shortest chapter it's one of the shorter chapters hmm. and what I wanted to be able to do and this is at least what I want to say is pastoral care to people you can't minister to someone unless people understand that you know what they're going through hmm. and I wanted to make it clear to African Americans that I was a black person who knew what it was like to be black in America. Mm. And that I looked the darkness in the face. And it's only after you look the darkness in the face that I think you have the permission to speak about the light. And so as far as like going into certain emotional places, and this is the weird part that I have to talk about this chapter so much. It was the hardest chapter to write, the first mm. 2,000 words of it, mm. called the, the, the Litany of Suffering. And... I wanted to feel, I wanted people to feel what we feel. And I wanted people to understand that I knew. And I wanted to say, but that suffering, that anger does not get the final word. And Mm -hmm. I take it, and I take it so, so seriously. People think that I'm passionate. I'm passionate because I understand the depth of the anger and I understand the hope that the cross brings. I do not think that there's another resource on planet earth or any other planet that that gives us the resources to forgive like the cross of christ Hmm. that does all the things that the cross does that because the cross at the same time takes sin very seriously so i don't have to pretend like the things didn't happen to me so it doesn't say the sin isn't bad the cross says sin is wicked but the cross also says there's something on the other side of that wickedness yeah. which is is the intervention of God's love. Mm. And so really the book is walking 
if, I, if, you know, if everyone, if someone has a Romans world, this is my black version of the Romans world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It takes you through the depths of suffering into the cross of Christ, out to the other side of hope. Mm. And I think that this is, once again, overly simplistic. We have to return to the cross again and again and again. And when I say return to the cross, it is not that the cross simply allows me to take seriously the sins that have been committed against me. Mm-hmm. But it also means that at the same time God is dealing with those sins, the things that people do to me, God's also dealing with the sins that I do to other people. Mm-hmm. And so that I can't receive my forgiveness while holding out or withholding the possibility of it from someone else. Mm-hmm. So the cross does a lot of stuff emotionally. <laughs> and this is also Christian eschatology. That's the same thing. This is how the book, the chapter ends. I wanted when I wanted to, when I, when I, in my brain, when I was writing it, I thought I was going to say a lot more about eschatology, but I didn't. Because one of the things the Christian, like, I actually don't want racists to stay racist. I don't want anybody to to be in spiritual danger when they come before the living God. Yeah. Because I am rightly terrified, confident in the the blood of Jesus, but rightly terrified of what is it going to mean to come into the presence of a living God and give an account for my sins. Yeah. And I know that the blood will plead on my behalf. So in that sense, I, I understand. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, like, I don't want anybody to come before God that's not like that. And mm-hmm. so the cross and the story of Christianity does so much stuff. Yeah. Paul talks about it as the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And I think when I go back and look at it, Jesus, like, what God's plan that nobody foresaw coming is profoundly wise. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to be able to do is to take people from rage— through the cross towards hope so they can see in the cross God's own wisdom and then they could see in the future God's own eschatological justice hmm. and i think for the people who are who are angry there're always different places along that 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 line sometimes they're back yeah. at the litany of suffering yeah sometimes they're like Wrestling with Jesus at the cross. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're looking towards Christian eschatology and hoping that their enemies become friends. Yeah. But that's like the, that. That is the the world in which um, the Christian lives and moves and has their being. Yeah. And what I say about black rage is actually not limited to black people. Mm-hmm. Other people have reasons to be angry. Sure. Other people have been stepped on. Mm-hmm. Other people have been assaulted and mistreated. And so it's not simply only black people understand this deep frustration with the world. But this is just my window into it. But I hope that other people yeah. can see it and find some hope. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of the gift, uh, right? The, the prophetic gift uh, is to say, um, this, this is how you wrestle uh, with this anger, with this rage. You know, you can't, I hear you saying, you can't skip over it. You can't skip over the litany of suffering. You can't skip over the cross. The only way to get to hope is to name, name what's real meet Jesus at the cross, and then see what God does. Yes. Beautiful. Well, uh, Esau, it's been great. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Um, the book yeah, thank is you, called... Esau. You took us from the podcast to church. You took Sorry. us to church. Yeah. This is what happens. Uh, this is what happens. To you. This is what you, you, should have your, you should have your canon theologian preach some. When y'all I know when it. Y'all, no when, y'all, when y'all suppress all the homilies, they would just come up <laughs> no any kidding. moment. 
Stop yeah, asking sure. for interviews and ask for sermons. I'll come That's and preach. That's right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the book is uh, Reading While Black. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, you can connect with Esau on his uh, website, EsauMcCulley.com. And uh, also check out the Disruptors podcast. Yes. Yeah, which is uh, Esau's uh, podcast. You can find that wherever you find podcasts. Uh, once again, Esau, thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.